But no, it's wonderful to, um, to see everybody here. Um, if you're, well, great to have you as our Paula with you. I don't know if you're visiting. You're not really visiting, are you? You're here, you're here uh, enough of the time. So, um, but obviously, we just come off, off the back, haven't we, of our um, Exodus series, and we're about to embark on a about well a six week or so mini series looking at the parables um, of Jesus or some of the parables of Jesus. We break at some point, I think, in a few weeks to do church in the park again. Um, but over the next five or six weeks. Uh, we're looking at five parables, a few people are preaching through them. So the idea being that we kind of just get to learn more about who God is, more about Jesus, about his mission, his purpose, um, and how we as well as God's people, of, of course, and God's church, how we can respond to who God is, um, learning some key themes, not just about Jesus and God. If you, th- if you know the parables at all, you'll know that there's some quite heavy subjects in there. You know, Jesus speaks a lot about judgment. He speaks a lot about the devil and Satan. He speaks about hell, um, things which maybe we don't really, you know, as we work through um, books of the Bible, don't kind of get as much of week by week. So um, hopefully it'd be really good for us as a church to kind of, again, just immerse ourselves in, in these parables. We're going to spend most of our time um, in Matthew chapter 13. That's where most of the parables are uh, that we're looking at. We do kind of move around a little bit in Matthew's gospel, but um, predominantly we're going to spend in Matthew 13. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew 13, um, and obviously when we come to our, our passage, we can we can look through that in a bit more detail. But I think when we read through these parables, I, I kind of really, I get excited by them because when you read um, Exodus, for example, the narrative, of course, it's biblical narrative, it's great, immerse yourself in the history. But when you read these parables, and what we're going to look at today um, as well is you, you hear or you read um, the words of Jesus himself, um, Jesus speaking directly to people, uh, whether it be his disciples, whether it be people in the crowds that were listening, um, following him to hear what he was, he was teaching and preaching. Um, but again, to get a glimpse of what it would have been like for us, I suppose, um, as God's people to hear him, to hear his voice. And hopefully, I know we live in a, a Western world where we're more interested sometimes, aren't we, in, in our phones and things, but to get excited about the voice of Jesus, I think, is something which we need to recapture. Um, so reading through these is, is really, really good. So one thing we would say beforehand is, is we are going to be reading through Matthew 13 um, the next few weeks. So if we can read through that during the week as well, that's great because it gives us a bit of a grounding, doesn't it, in those parables So um, and really helps us in our time together. So the parables of Jesus. The word parable, you've probably heard this phrase. I remember hearing it in, in, in Sunday school as a child. Um, and I'm sure if I was to ask, I won't do because there's not enough time for audience participation. Um, if I was to ask you, I'm pretty sure what is a parable would come back with something along the lines of an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Is that ring a bell? Yeah, that, that, I've heard that, seen that um, lovely little tagline. But effectively, a parable is a simple story that Jesus told. A simple story he told to people around him to help them understand greater topics of spiritual significance. These stories were fictitious. They weren't based on anything factual, um, but they were very relevant to the context that he was speaking into. Lots around agriculture, lots around farming, lots around money, lots around um, different roles of employment because people connected with them. So those listening in would have understood and connected with what Jesus was. A bit like when we talk about things, if Neil preaches or someone preaches and you give a, an analogy or an illustration, something people can connect with. That's what Jesus was doing. It was helping people understand 
spiritual significant topics, particularly in, in light of um, the kingdom of heaven, um, but using stories and scenarios and situations that people would understand and could, could uh, connect with. So that's basically what parables are. And I'm sure we've read them in the Bible. You know, when, if, look again, I use it, looking around um, people here, seasoned Christians who would have read most of these parables through um, the years uh, of being a Christian. And we're going to know... Um, that as, you know, they'll be familiar to us, but as we read through, we're going to learn loads about God himself, about Jesus, and about ourselves as well. When you read about how Jesus interacts with, with people in there and, and what his messages are, very poignant and relevant to us as his church. Um, and that may be this afternoon, whether people are Christians. I don't want us to think Jesus speaks a lot in an evangelistic sense here. He speaks a lot about, the, about you know, to unbelievers, those that don't believe, the consequences, the ramifications of those people who aren't believers. But even if we are, let the gospel wash over us this afternoon because all of us need, we've been saved, haven't we, by the gospel, but all of us need that reminder um, and that kind of uh, remembering of what God has done in and through uh, his son. So um, this is a small bit of context for us before we move into our, our topic. Obviously, being the first kind of one in, in the series, I'm sure we'll get a bit more uh, context as we go. Um, but these parables were spoken by Jesus to specific people at a specific time. So they are kind of part of the wider narrative of Matthew's gospel, but they're also very specific as well in that kind of part of Jesus's ministry. And he's speaking specifically to teach the people there, again, his disciples and the crowds listening in about the kingdom of heaven, whilst also moving towards his greater purpose and the greater mission that God uh, had for him. Um, to speaking to people who uh, predominantly were Jewish again and living in that kind of tension between um, looking forward to the Messiah. Don't forget, we've got the benefit, haven't we, of looking back and reading the Bible and, and reading about Jesus. Um, these were living in it. So they had, the, they had the Old Testament, but they were looking forward to who this Messiah was. So people thought they knew, they may have believed slightly, they may have had an inkling, they may have had no clue at all, but they live in that tension there. But also a real kind of reality of, of living within Rome, uh, Roman rule at the time, within that Roman Empire, um, real hard line for Christians, people that might, might, might believe. So really difficult context for them to, to live in. But again, Jesus spoke to people um, in these parables to really help them understand difficult topics um, of spiritual significance. There's 24 in total. We're looking at five over the next few weeks. Um, but he didn't just speak for that purpose as well. These parables actually fulfilled prophecy as well, which really helps us, again, understand a bit more of God's character. Um, again, if we turn our attention, if the Bibles are open to Matthew 13, verse 35, just as a bit of a segue before we move into our passage, is it says these words here, all things, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So again, you know, if you read through Matthew 13, you'll see he spoke to them again in parables, he spoke to them again in parables, he spoke another parable to them. You see that a lot going through. And that's there, just shows that prophetic um, completion there. And it gives us that, again, reassurance and encouragement that God is faithful, God's word is true. You know, what was said, I think it was in Psalm 78, um, those words were uttered. And right in Matthew's gospel here, um, it's being kind of coming to fulfilment. So again, that kind of encouragement uh, within these parables, God is a faithful God and God's word can be trusted. So um, again, we won't do a little quiz, but if we're to shout out, you know, the, the, um, 
popular perhaps is the wrong word, um, more familiar parables, I'm sure we say things around the parable of the sower. Yeah? That, if you think of your top three now, the sower will be in there, parable of the two sons, or the prodigal son, that'll definitely be in there, um, the talents, the mustard seed, the parable of the hidden treasure, and everyone's, everyone's one most common one, the parable of the lost sheep. Yeah, they're ones which people can kind of probably recall by word for word almost, or, or scene by scene, because they're obviously quite familiar, the ones which people will pull out at children's talks and so forth. But Jesus spoke many, many parables to people, again, to teach about the kingdom of heaven and helping us as, you know, as people listening in or reading on, understand different ways to consider uh, the kingdom of heaven as well. Again, using those everyday themes uh, to aid the understanding of those listening. Um, and in our chapter this afternoon, we're looking at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. Uh, we come across one perhaps is less familiar, I'll be honest, when I was asked to preach this, I hadn't read it many times before, because it's not one perhaps that you know you kind of go to immediately. Um, but again, it's obviously one which is, is of great significance. So it doesn't involve a harvest, it involves a sower, and it involves a field, but it's not the one you might be thinking of. Um, it is actually the parable of the wheat and the weeds. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 24 to 30, we'll read this together, uh, we'll pray, and then uh, we'll look at it. So it says here, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. Uh, Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. And as we read these words here and try and understand what it means and what your kind of intentions were, Lord Jesus, to the people you were speaking with, Father, that we, we can just take these words first and foremost and just know that they're true. Know that they're edifying for us and helpful for us to navigate our lives, our families, our jobs, our struggles, our difficulties, ultimately our faith in you, Lord Jesus. So I pray now, Holy Spirit, as we look at these words more, that you just really help us to grasp an understanding, not so we, to, to that end that we understand what it means, but so we can relate that to um, how we approach you, Father God, how we read your word, how we pray, how we relate to one another as your people. Um, I want this time, or we want this time, Father, to be one which glorifies you, that exalts the Lord Jesus and, and his saving power, but also helps us um, here, whether we're Christians or not, to really either trust you or trust you more. Uh, Lord God, we want to leave this place not having listened for a bit of time and, and cracked on with our days or our evenings, but really um, grounded ourselves in theological truths of your, of your character. So help us in this, we pray, Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, is, have people read that parable before many times? Is it a relatively new one? Yeah? 
I know I said no audience participation, but you can give something, a grunt, a moan, anything I'll do. Um, that's great. So, remembering, these parables are fictitious. And when I mean fictitious, I don't mean God's word is fictitious. What I mean here is Jesus isn't giving a literal um, retelling of an event. It's, it's a story he's telling that people would, again, be familiar with and connect with. It's not a historical narrative. It's not someone's experience, but it's based on common experiences that people would have had at the time. Um, and in our passage here, we're reading of a problem that some farmers would face around harvest time. So, um, again, allegedly, um, I'm not a farmer myself, quite clearly. I don't know if I look like one, I don't know. Um, but I'm not. Um, but they may, may have experienced some, some difficulties in their communities for various reasons. One being, if they had unjust business dealings in the time, if they had a reputation for being unfriendly um, or unpopular within their community, then an enemy, allegedly, or a uh, um, competitor or someone like that would sow weeds into their fields, um, saturate their crops with these deadly weeds that could take years of hard labour to eliminate. Um, and this parable here tells us of, of a sower who has sown good seed in his field for a healthy wheat harvest. See that in verse 24. But in the dark of night, an enemy came when everyone's sleeping and sowed weeds in, among the weeds. We see that in verse 25. And then in which in turn leads to a desired healthy wheat harvest, which is what they wanted, of course, that they're sowing the good seed um, to be tarnished by the weeds that were growing within it. Within it. Okay, that's the kind of um, the picture here. So before we move on, is anyone here a keen botanist? Does anybody know what the word botanist means? No? Good, because you're... Oh, there you go. Oh, yeah, you'd know, wouldn't you? Um, so I didn't know either. I, I, I genuinely thought it was something to do with like an orchestra. I had the word botanist. I was like, oh, it sounds like it. An in- some kind of instrument. But it's not. A botanist is a person who studies the life of plants. Okay? I teach science plant life cycles every now and again, so I don't know if I can count myself as a botanist. Um, but we're kind, of, we're kind of on our way there. So, but if anyone, you, know, you obviously know me. Those who know me, Georgina's in here, she'll know this really well, that I'm probably the least person in the world, probably, to become a botany enthusiast. Um, for me, so we're getting our garden done, aren't we, at the moment? So um, when we talked about getting our garden done, I think some of my requirements were as much patio as possible, um, possibly artificial grass, if we could, because for me, the idea of tending to a garden... And you'll know this from even the Mossville house. It's just, I just find it difficult. I'm not going to lie to you. I just don't like it. Um, I know some people do. You've got to have, like, you know, green fingers, they say, don't you? And it's almost generational. My dad loves tennis for his garden. Alan and Heather have got a lovely garden. You know, our garden looks nice now, to be fair. It will be when it's finished. Um, but anyway, my requirements were loads of patio, artificial grass. So naturally, we listened to that, and we've got, we've got these gorgeous sleepers going right down the side of our garden now that's being built here, which obviously, if not sleepers are, sleepers are like, well, ours anyway, going to be con- concrete raised beds with soil down, which are going to have loads of plants in, loads of flowers in. Um, so, um, you know, as I said before, I'm not a keen botanist at all, although I might have to learn how to botanise plants. Um, that is a legitimate verb, by the way, that I, I looked that up. To botanise is a legitimate verb to tend to and to, to learn about plants. But basically, the reason I say this is because understanding botany will be helpful in understanding this because there's, we read here about the wheat and the weeds. And I, I, I'm pretty sure when you think of that, when you're picturing the weeds that I'm talking about here, you're picturing those little green ones that like, you know, up in, up in the crevices of your, 
your patio and whatever, but it's not quite like that. So, um, in this passage here, Matthew, who's writing this passage, obviously, in, in his gospel, uses the Greek term zizania, okay? Which in modern botanical terms refers to, like, wild rice grass. Um, but what they say, theologians say here, that it's a lot more likely that they're talking about something called Darnell. Now, again, we don't have no clue what Darnell is, but Darnell is a very similar in, in, um, in presentation to wheat. So if you're looking in, like, a field, and up until the point of ripe, ripening... Um, corn or whatever it might be, the wheat, it kind of looks the same. And when it becomes more mature, the darnel will then start to turn black. It will start to um, become or display or give off poisonous seeds. But you wouldn't know to look at it. So when Matthew writes here, um, or Jesus speaks here about the wheat and the weeds, he's not talking about an obvious um, uh, contrast there. He's talking about looking at, you know, uh, the, the wheat and the weeds look very, very similar, apart from the fact that the fact is that the, the outcome, the consequence of the darnel uh, or the weeds that he's referring to here is that the black and poisonous. And we obviously know you don't need to be a botanist um, or a farmer to know that if you've got poisonous grain in a field of, of good grain, what the consequences of that would, would have been. So that's kind of, again, a bit more context to, to the parable Jesus is speaking of here in, in this context here. So again, as we move through, We've got harvest time not far off, so the, the servants have been working in the fields, and they begin to notice that, you know, as they're going into the fields, and we see this in verse 26, um, and the crops are going to come to the, like, the final stage of its growth before it's about to be harvested in, in, in a few weeks, a few months, they start to look different. So you know, the wheat starts to drop because it's heavy, ready to fall off, nicely to be collected. The darnel stays straight, turns black but just starts to give off this black poisonous seed. Um, of course, this um, causes perhaps some kind of panic or, or in, in the servants, but they go to the, to the, to the master um, and they ask him, what should we do? Should we get rid of it? Should we clear it out? What, what should we do? Um, of course, here we see the master's response was, no, um, we're going to leave it, which I think would have confused the servants in here um, because... Again, as we read through the parable here, we see the issue here by pulling up uh, the weeds in this context would have damaged or destroyed the wheat as well. Um, and we don't forget, we're talking about, you know, so we're going to come in a moment to what Jesus says about this parable. This is more the kind of the imagery we're hearing about here. Um, but that kind of idea that if we're to see the, the damaging uh, weeds in here, ideally you want to get rid of those. But what he's saying here is because they're so intertwined underneath uh, the soil that to get rid of those would naturally cause damage and possibly destroy the good wheat as well. Um, so the master's decision here was to say no. And we see he instructed them to wait until the harvest when all the wheat and the darnel will be gathered and the weeds will be destroyed in the fire uh, while the good wheat will be going into the master's barn. So that's kind of like, where, you know, again, a bit of an interpretation of the parable there. Now, when you kind of plan to... Or when you preach and you're kind of obviously preparing a sermon, those that, that have done or any kind of talk, teaching the kids, teaching the Bible study, anything like that, um, you engage in a process called hermeneutics. Now, hermeneutics is a fancy word basically for interpreting text, interpreting the Bible in, in, in this context here so that you understand it more clearly, so that others understand it more clearly. Um, obviously, it requires, you know, your patience, prayer, God's word, God's Holy Spirit to help and to guide um, but interesting for this one here, I kind of felt like it cheated a little bit, um, or at least got a real big helping hand, because again, if we go down 
in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, verse 36 to 43, we'll see a heading that says, the parable of the weeds explained. And you know, when I read that, I was thinking, wow, because Jesus tells a parable and then he explains the parable to them in greater detail, which kind of is effectively what, you know, what, what preaching uh, or, or teaching actually is. But what's interesting here is this, uh, a parable obviously is a story that Jesus teaches or tells in a more simpler form to help people understand. And his disciples, after um, he, Jesus had, had shared this parable with them and with others, came to him and asked for more clarity. Um, we'll see that in a moment. So Jesus has spoken to them, but they wanted more information, more detail. Um, and Jesus laid it out to them uh, in very, very clear terms. Let's read that together because it will really help us as we kind of move through to our application um, in a moment. So it says this. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. That's obviously talking about Jesus. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus quite clearly there, doesn't he? Breaks down. You know, it's like they might ask, the, did they ask the question, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? He explains it bit by bit, doesn't he? Exactly what... Um, this parable means in the clearest terms he possibly can to help their understanding. Obviously, again, you know, this concept of the kingdom of heaven, the kind of tension again between God's people being in the kingdom, but not yet in the kingdom, because of course the kingdom will be established upon the return of the Lord Jesus. But the key things here we learn from um, Jesus' explanation is this, just again for our summary. So the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, that's referring to Jesus. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the children of the kingdom. That's Christians, God's people. The weeds are the sons of the children of the evil one. The enemy who sowed the weeds is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Um, it doesn't say in, this, in that Jesus explanation, um, not to question why, but it doesn't say who the servants are. You know, the servants at first who say, shall we go out and, and get rid of all the weeds? And he says, no, the reapers will do that. Um, they're not kind of clarified in here who they are. You know, there's obviously speculation that it could be, you know, people who quite were, were keen to question the master or why, why, why are we waiting for this? We should do this now. We know who those kind of, we have those situations for ourselves. But um, Jesus gives a clear explanation here um, of what it is. And I can't top that, obviously, you know, Jesus as has uh, taught us exactly what uh, the parable of the wheat and the weeds is referring to. However, um, you know, we look to his wisdom, of course, but it helps us if we look at that explanation now of how he kind of narrows down what each thing means and kind of puts it back, back into the initial, par- initial parable. It helps us to look at it this way. So Jesus, obviously, at the start of, of uh, Matthew 13, verse 24, 
to 30, um, as comparing the kingdom of heaven to himself bringing his people, who in his divine sovereignty, he's left to reside on earth, bringing them into his eternal spiritual kingdom. However, at this stage, they're still on earth, um, which obviously we know the world being where Satan is present. I think, again, something which we don't quite give a lot of thought to, that Satan is, a, is a, an active being. You know, he's not a, a, a little caricature with pitchfork and horns. He's, he's at work, like, you know, this weekend's been really hard for, for me, a terrible toothache. Uh, I'm going to have to connect with things very well in terms of preparation. And, you know, we can think, oh, that's just circumstantial, but that's Satan attacking people who are trying to bring glory to, to God. So Satan's at work in those outside uh, of the kingdom. Um, and, and it does, it impacts people then who, are, who belong to God in, in the church, doesn't it? Um, distorts their pursuit of godliness, distorts their pursuit of holiness uh, due to that sin. Um, and obviously we know believers, unbelievers reside on earth together. But rather than remove Satan and remove those people outside of God's kingdom now, God says a time will come when he will. But it's just not yet. But God's clear though. This is where it kind of gets into application now as we close. God's clear that one day at the end of time, he will take his people to be with him in his eternal kingdom. um, Whilst those outside of that will perish in eternal judgment. That's that's the crux of of what what that passage, that parable, is Jesus very, very clearly discusses and demonstrates there that there's, there's his people that will be entering into his kingdom and those outside of that um, won't be. And the reality of what that looks like for them in eternal judgment. And we might be sitting there thinking that's obvious, like we know that, we're, we're believers. But again, the context he's just speaking into is people were waiting for the Messiah and he was in their midst and they didn't even know it. Um, so again, helps us to be reminded of that. So um, just two points of application as we close for us to consider. Because um, this passage paints a clear picture of Jesus sharing the impact of being in the kingdom of heaven or not, and how this impacts or should impact our response to him and impact our response to those around him. So, some questions, and this might be a really obvious one here, but Jesus uses this parable about the imagery between wheat and weeds in a field, good wheat for a good harvest, or poisonous darnel. Uh, or weeds um, and they sometimes look the same they grow together but taking a closer look you see the damaged, damaging significance of the weeds their poisonous impact on the weeds around them um, stunting their growth even killing them um, and destroying them completely and the first question we ask ourselves and you know I, I'm looking around and I, I know people I know we're Christians um, but the question to ask ourselves is an obvious one is where do we fall in that are we the weeds or are we the weeds? And as I think of it again, like, like the, in, 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 the, in the parable of being a, a wheat or a weed here, but the language, again, that Jesus uses um, is a child of the kingdom or a child of the evil one. There's no middle ground, um, rather a child of his, child of his kingdom or a child of, of the evil one, which, is, which paints a much starker relation, uh, picture of our relationship with and towards God. And we talked about, I talked about the start, that this, the parables we're going to look at have got very evangelistic connotations. Um, and the, this one here gives us a real kind of stark question around where do we stand before God? Um, because the consequences of being children of the kingdom or children of the evil one, which Jesus speaks about in this parable here, are very striking. Um, 
doesn't it? it says here once the reapers have come and separated the wheat from the weeds we're going to have two contrasting outcomes so if we look closely um, at verse 40 we'll see the outcome of the weeds of children or, or outcome of you if you class as a weeds or the children of the evil one says this just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire so it will be at the end of the age the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out his king out of his kingdom all causes of sin all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place they'll be weeping and gnashing gnashing of teeth and this wasn't jesus kind of scaremongering people or trying to kind of convince people to to follow him uh, of course but it's, it's the stark reality of what it looks like to to live outside of god's kingdom um to find ourselves outside of that saving grace that God offers to us. And Jesus is speaking quite starkly here again. And those words here, you know, I don't th- again, we don't like talking about hell. When was the last time anybody kind of had a conversation with somebody, Christian or not, and used the word hell or judgment or damnation? We don't do it. But Jesus very here, here is very, very clear. Um, the reality for people outside of his kingdom is an eternity away from him. And that's something which, again, if we are Christians, we, you know, we, we praise God for his grace that we don't experience that. But it leads us then, hopefully, to pray for others, to tell other people about, about the grace of God for them so they can obviously uh, experience eternal life and not eternal uh, separation from him. But the contrast in for, 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 for children uh, of the kingdom, again, if you look at verse, 30, that, verse 43, is a real... Uh, again, it should. I hope it does. Um, we've been reading this through a lot the last few days. It really should invoke some joy. So we just read here, um, you know, th- those outside of him we've thrown into a fiery furnace. They'll be weeping, gnashing of teeth. But then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Um, that contrast between being a child of the evil one or a child of, of God in his kingdom is, is staggering. But that promise that we have um, for those that know and uh, put their faith in Jesus, you know, is, it is staggering for us. The promise of an eternity with Jesus and with God, praising him, being in his likeness, not experiencing pain or sin or sadness or all the things that people struggle with. Um, is that, and that obviously comes through, doesn't it? That knowledge of, of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Going for, you know, for that humiliating, agonising, brutal death on a cross for, for those of us who have put our faith in him. Um, so there's those two contrasts there. But this again, we're not finished there. There's still hope. We know that we serve a God who is patient. We serve a God who is gracious. His love is enduring. Um, and he calls us to trust him and to follow him. Um, whether, you know... I'm looking at verse 43 again. The last part of verse 43 says, again, words that you may have heard before. We'll hear them again in other parables as well. And it says here, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Um, that, is, that refrain is used a lot um, with the idea that, you know, God is, God is a gracious God. Why do we, you know, we're looking at the parable here, seeing the um, servants wanting to go out and get rid of the weeds, get rid of the one, you know, and God's, and the master saying, no, it's not time. You know, that, but we know that God relenting from judging uh, his creation, even to this very point now, is him demonstrating his grace and demonstrating his patience um, you know, for people to still hear. And if we're sitting here, obviously, as Christians, then, you know, we praise God, don't we? That we, you know, we have been saved from that. But I'm sure we can think of people 
in our minds now, you know, our family, our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues, people that we hold dear and count as dear that are sitting sadly in a position of um, et- you know, eternity away from God. Um, but there's still time. There's still time for them to come to know Jesus. And that's why we must never give up in praying for people, in sharing the gospel, in being the witnesses God's called us to be, the way we, the way we work for his glory, the way we're generous and hospitable for his glory are all ways that God uses us as his ambassadors to to show people uh, his grace. Um, But it is an important thing for us to consider, isn't it? And if we are Christians, it's just, again, letting the gospel that saved us wash over us and getting to that point again of being able to praise God for um, what he has done in in saving us. So um, the second thing and the final thing to consider before we uh, share communion together as well as looking at, are we, are we weeds or are we weeds? You know, are we saved or are we not? Where do we fall in terms of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world? And it's for ourselves to answer, um, of course. And again, you know, faith in Jesus is what brings us into that relationship with God and into his kingdom. Um, but in light of that, I wonder, how do we view others within the church or outside of the church? Um, I just want to you know, look at this second part of, of the parable for us to take away um, and look at how we view other people. And that could be people even in this room today. That could be people within this local church, within you know, other churches around Liverpool, within other Christians that we know. Um, so going back to our thread, if you can call it a thread, uh, on botanists. Um, so part of being a good botanist... Uh, I, I guess <laughs> I don't know because I'm not one um, is knowing which plants or which weeds are going to cause the most harm to other plants um, so we're going to get these plants aren't we um, I'm sure in the next few weeks um, we don't want to get the wrong ones you don't want to get ones that are potentially going to cause damage to others or let things kind of grow in a way which is going to cause harm to, to other other plants or flowers that are trying to, to grow. Um, but that's something, obviously, you know, have, having that knowledge of that would, would be really helpful. Um, again, I'm probably not alone in this, but anyone who's got their own kind of front drive or garden or whatever, a job that I hate doing is weeding. Yeah, I don't think anyone out there, is anyone out there that enjoys weeding? I don't think there's anyone. Um, obviously, you know, once you've weeded or de-weeded your driveway, for example, or your garden, it looks great, absolutely. But I really dislike the um, the job um, because I think most of the time when I do it, like you know, like you went to you, oh, what's that thing we got called, like a weed, a weeding device or something. You put it under there, and if it snaps off, if the weed snaps, you know that weed is just just biding its time under the surface, ready to just like sprout up again in a couple of weeks or months. You've got to really get to the root to pull it out, um, spray as much weed killer as you can to make sure that weed is dead and does not come back. Um, but that you know, it's a, it's a tough job. Um, but in this parable here, you've got what would look like some overzealous weeders. So again, if we go back to our passage very, very briefly, um, we see in, in verse twenty-seven, we see the servants being really, really keen to deweed. So the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, "Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds?" He said to them, "An enemy has done this." So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? And, and that's it. So I was very, very keen. So they're very, very keen 
Uh, and there was a problem there, obviously, but they're very keen to resolve the issue by saying, that's the problem, we need to get rid of that straight away. And I think sometimes we can view that, can't we, to how we view other people. In the church, for example, when we gather together or we, we have a fellowship at the end, in groups or whatever it might be, we see people, we hear, we listen, we observe. And, and I speak to myself in this, it's not you know, me making observations. Um, it's, it's obviously, for myself, we, we judge people. We judge in our minds. We think certain things. We think poorly of people. Um, we perhaps don't seek to restore relationships with each other, but we criticise people. If we're being honest, sometimes we might fall into gossiping about people, um, saying things not to them but to others about them. Um, we complain about one another, perhaps. You know, things that we saw, didn't we? We've just done a whole series of the book of Exodus. We're seeing God's people grumbling and moaning and complaining. And um, we can fall into that if, you know, if, if, we're, if we're being honest. Um, we can be quite quick to see, oh, I'm not happy with that, therefore I'm going to be the one that tries to sort that out. Let's remove that from the situation or, or whatever. And I think here, we look at the response of the master. They've said, we need to get rid of this. And the master said, no. Um, to read through that just very very quickly it says here so the master's response to the servants in verse 20 onwards um, do you want us to go and gather them but he said no lest in the gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them let both grow together until the harvest and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn and it's just something for us to consider uh, as, as a people that we know it's God who's going to judge eventually. Um, we know the Lord Jesus will return. But until then, he's, you know, he's called us to be brothers and sisters inside the church and witnesses to those outside of the church. And that comes from the way we view God, the way we view the Lord Jesus who has saved us uh, and the way we view one another as well. Um, and something for us to, to, to consider in that, isn't it? Is, you know, as we think about the heart that Jesus had for those around him, as we see here, him pointing to the patience that God had in light of this parable here. You know, rather than removing things, we're going to be patient. We're going to let them hear what needs to be heard um, as well. So some things for us in there to, to kind of consider um, as well. We're going to move into communion now. Um, I'm going to do this. Um, together and then we're going to have some time to pray together um, and then sing.